0: Today's episode is brought to you by Cooperative Press. Cooperative Press has been publishing exciting knitting books by talented independent authors for over a decade. Their founder, Shannon Oakey, got tired of trying to figure out why she earned next to nothing on every book she wrote for other publishers. So, she changed the rules of the game. Cooperative Press authors earn a significantly higher royalty and get creative freedom to produce the kinds of books knitters want to read, not just another garter stitch scarf book. Find them at cooperativepress.com. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 227 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we are talking about building a yarn business and brand with my guest, Amy Small. Amy is a business owner, hand spinner, yarn lover, obsessive knitter, and podcaster. Along with making things, she's passionate about creative small businesses and about yoga. At the heart of her business, knit collage, is the idea that making things makes us better. This might look like more creativity and confidence or more patience and peace in your day-to-day life. In a nutshell, it's not just about the yarn. It's about finding something that helps you and makes you feel like your most authentic and best self. Amy Small, welcome.
1: Hi, Abby. It's so awesome to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. It's great to have you. And I got to meet you in person for the first time after sort of knowing you online for a long while at H&H Americas, where you were able to come just, I think, for a day and stop by.
1: Yeah, I actually, I feel like I know you. So I'm really, I didn't even cross my mind that that's the first time I met you in person. But I think it was. Yeah,
0: yeah, I know. We live not too far from each other, which is, um, which is funny. So but we met in Chicago. So (laughs) anyway, um, I would love to sort of walk back because I love Nick Collage. I love everything that you are doing and have done. But I want to kind of walk back to the beginning and learn a little bit more about you. So I knew I know that you grew up in the
1: Philadelphia area. Is that right? Yeah, I grew up in Philadelphia, right, a, a suburb outside of Philly, much like we're in the suburbs right now, outside of Boston.
0: Right. And what, um, what, what were you like as a kid? Were you a creative kid? Were you always making things?
1: Yes, I, I was. I was one of those kids who did seed beads. Um, I had tons of trinkets. I was really into collage, which is part of how. Um, the name Nick Collage came to be. I loved Mod Podge. You know what that is? Yes, of course. <laughs> Mod Podge. I, the first thing I ever made, I think, was probably when I was in fifth grade. It was a lampshade covered in buttons from... I think they were, must have been buttons from jo- the Joannes near me, um, and each button was placed carefully on this lampshade, and I was the only one who could do it, it space the right way with the colors just so, and that lampshade made it to college with me, but no idea where it is <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I was, I was one of those kids. My dad used to call it the trinkets. Like I would have Dixie cups full of beads and different trinkets and things spread out wherever in the house he'd come in, knock them over with his feet and say, ah, the trinkets. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> That's awesome. And what did your parents do for work? So my dad is a financial advisor and my mom is a swim coach and is probably pretty obvious. They weren't very creative. And so I think part of them watching me with the trinkets and all these things was a little like, what the heck? Like who is where did this kid come from?
0: Yeah, I bet. That's so interesting. Okay. So when you were in high school, did you envision yourself pursuing art?
1: I did. I had an amazing art teacher named Mr. Pethic in high school who really let me do whatever I want. He was a sculpture teacher, but I was interested in fashion and his wife was the jewelry teacher and she knew how to sew and she taught me how to use my sewing machine and helped me knit patterns and we ended up kind of crossing into like fabric and sculpture territory. And I remember my senior year making this crazy fabric sculpture, but he had a big impact because he just said, Hey, just do it. If you want to do that, let's do it. Let's make this class, whatever you want it to be. And I remember it. I went from a C student to an A student because it, it was something that really lit me up. So I definitely thought, okay, there's potential for this to be something in my life. Um, I didn't really know if it was going to be fashion or what it would be, but I loved making things. I loved customizing my clothes in high school. I did all that fun stuff.
0: Okay, great. And so you went to Cornell and studied fashion design. I feel like fashion design and Cornell are not two things that I I necessarily associate. I might say fashion design would be like Parsons or something like that and Cornell would be something more similar to like math or history I don't know but anyway so how did the, how did that come to be
1: I think I decided on Cornell because I wanted the ability to change my mind and they had every major under the sun at Cornell. It's made up of seven different colleges and really you can, you could do anything and it's pretty easy to change between. And I just wasn't sure if I wanted to do that for real. And I ended up getting the degree in fashion design. So I stuck with it and it was, it was a great place for me to be, I think partially because I've always been a little skeptical about the fashion industry. And I wasn't sure that was the space I wanted to be in. I just knew I loved making things that makes any sense. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So what made you skeptical, skeptical then or now even about the fashion industry? Um,
1: Well, I think having worked in it for a little while too, for me, it was, um, It was really the fast paced nature. And I realize not all fashion is like this. But when I worked at Free People, which is part of Urban Outfitters right after college, it was so fast paced. I think there were it was either like 17 or 19 deliveries a year. And you had to design sweaters for all of these deliveries. And after a while, you're like, I can't come up with any more cardigan ideas like they just don't become special. And so that was a big part of, um, I think of my distrust later. I think that the part of fashion that I was always attracted to was more handmade, less high fashion, more accessible and not as much trends either. Just like, okay, I like this. I'm going to wear it forever. I'm going to create something that really will stand the test of time. And I think that that part of fashion that's into like the next Chanel bag or Gucci shoot like that, that was never me or something that I jived with, even though I could say, like, look at the Gucci runway show and be like, that's so inspiring. But I was never one of those people who wanted to wear a big label or something like that.
0: Right. So like, like the couture side of fashion, like the handmade special items that are walking down the runway are inspiring. But then that kind of feeds into this, you know, ready to wear fast, fashion. not even fast fashion, but just like seasonal constant churn of fashion that is less appealing to you. So, yeah. Yeah. And
1: I think also, you know, the way that people buy brands just to have a Chanel bag or whatever it is like that to me, fashion is it's more about creativity and self-expression than about being like a status symbol, like I have the this, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, okay, for sure. And so, but you did go, as you said, you went to work for free people out of college how did you find that job? Did you like? Did a recruiter come, or did you find an ad in a newspaper? Like, it seems like a cool
1: job, right out of uh,
0: you know good, undergrad. It's
1: a good question. So, I told you, my mom's a swim coach, and every day around lunchtime, she would swim at the at the YMCA near my house and in Wayne, PA. And she happened to swim next to a guy for years that knew the owner of Urban Outfitters. And so it was very much like, uh, hey, could you get me an interview? And that's how it worked. So the world, I learned a good lesson like through that, that the world, like you never know who you're going to (laughs) meet. Right. That's why I always say
0: like, put your business in your email signature, because you might send an email to the kid's soccer coach And that person's spouse might be someone who's interested in
1: what you have. So you don't know. And I think it was my mom's swimming buddy. Like maybe, you know, their kids played soccer together. It really was something like that. Um, So I got a paid internship there. I think it was my junior year at Cornell that summer. And I just worked my butt off. I was there all the time. I met the sweater designer, Mary, who's now become a huge mentor for me in the yarn business. Um, and she had the most incredible lifestyle. She was traveling the world, living in India for big chunks of time. And she just made whatever she wanted to make. And she had all this freedom within the business. And I realized quickly what she was doing and was like, Oh, my God, I have to start helping her because she is living, you know, my dream Or it seems like so much fun to be a part of what she's doing, and so that's what I really did. I was like, "What do you need, Mary? I'm here. I'll help you." Uh, and I think that attitude struck a note with her that you know, no jobs beneath me. I'll do anything, and she hired me my my senior year spring to be her assistant. Awesome. Yeah. So
0: so you launched into this incredible adventure of traveling for maybe three years or, or more with her um, all over Asia and designing sweaters. Um, and so I guess for the uninitiated, what does that mean being a sweater designer? Because I think there's a fair number of people who are like, that's a job. I mean, of course, they go to the store and they see sweaters. I don't know that they backtrack it to like, there's a sweater designer who's making it, you know what I'm saying? Like it's not, yeah. it's not so apparent
1: from the consumer side. Yeah, oh, it was so much fun. And in those beginning years, I had no life. I just worked all the time and it was such a blast. I remember one time I got to go on a vintage shopping trip by myself. I drove from Philly all the way up to Toronto and I brought back all this vintage and then we cut it up and we made little, kind of mini sweaters or swatches that were just our ideas and we would then present them to the buyers and they would decide if they wanted to pursue this idea or that idea Um, and then we would turn those little swatches into specs so okay the chest is going to be this measurement the bottom is a one by one rib or tubular cast off whatever it might be and then we'd send that over to the factories that made the um that made the garments what was so fun about working with Mary is that we were on the ground at the factories a lot. So we would be really designing the fabric, and that's what's so cool about sweaters, right? When you have a fabric, you're locked into the fabric. But with sweaters, you can take that yarn and make a stripe, a pointel stitch, a cable. You can play with the gauge and the tension. You can marl it, all these things. And that's what we were doing um, at the factory when we were there. It was so much fun. And when you're able to, to design right at the source, what you get is so much cooler because you can really design into every aspect of that uh, final product. So it was a lot of fun. But it did get tiring. Like I mentioned before, it was a lot of designing. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of styles. It must've been a
0: huge learning experience in a lot of ways. It's like that was graduate school for you, like the equivalent only because, I mean, I've never been to a mill or a factory in Asia. I'm sure the first time you you saw that, that must've been so interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I learned so much about yarn too. My first trip, my first day of work was in Hong Kong and we were yarn shopping for the following season. So we were looking at all these different yarns and fibers and I got to learn about all different yarn consistencies and resiliency all these things it was just fascinating so it was awesome I learned so much and I did not learn a ton about hand knitting that really came later so people always wonder if that affected what I do now I really wasn't hand knitting at all I knew how to knit but just the basics and um, that came later.
0: Right. Okay. All right. But you said it did get tiring after a while. And I imagine like a fair, first of all, tiring on like just constantly coming up with more and more ideas for every season, as you mentioned earlier, but also a lot of trotting and um, <laughs> moving around all the time, which has, it's like, ro- it's romantically amazing. And then at a certain point it stops being so amazing. So, <laughs> so can you talk about kind of how you decided to sort of phase out that period and, and transition?
1: Yeah. So I was, I had moved to Hong Kong for the job. I was in China at the factories from Monday to Friday. And there was part of me that loved living in Hong Kong so much for the first time since I had graduated from college. I had a friend group that was awesome. They were adventuresome. I had started training for my first marathon. A lot of people don't know this about me, but I love like, maybe this is from my parents. (laughs) I have a big athletic side. I think you do too, right? I'm not super athletic, but I
0: do enjoy. Yes, I enjoy running. Yeah, I'm not like good at running, but I enjoy (laughs) it.
1: But I had this amazing friend group where we were training for all these races together. I did a 50k race in Singapore. I did a 100k hike um, and a few marathons. And it It was so fun because we would run from one end of the island to the other, then have a big dim sum lunch. And it was the first time in my working career in my 20s that I actually had great friends and a social life, uh, like other things outside of work. Prior to that, I was really working and focused on work, and that was it. And once I got a glimpse of that, it was kind of like no turning back. And I saw the future in that role as uh, not allowing me to have that balance that I now craved Um, and I think I also was ready for something new and some some new challenge so I decided to quit and started working freelance for many different companies and I decided to stay in Hong Kong because I loved it there and I had made all these great friends and eventually met my husband so I stayed and I started to work for some U.S. companies, some Chinese companies, and I helped them design those sweaters. And I had the ability to make my own schedule, which eventually led to me beginning knit collage. Does that make sense? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Because when you're pursuing the freelance life, you get a sense of being your own boss. You can take the jobs you want to take. You can turn down the jobs you don't. There's a lot of hustle involved in getting enough work to support yourself, Um, but you are your own boss. And so you start to sort of see what that could be like.
1: Yeah. And I I know about myself that my best work hours are in the morning, so I would put – the work I was doing about for knit collage first and foremost when my brain was best. And then in the afternoon, (laughs) the other off hours, I would do all the other stuff um, that I was being paid for too.
0: And so we'll get to knit collage in a moment, but I did want to return to these long runs. So the 50 K, I mean, that's a really, really long run. And um, I wondered whether endurance running sort of, I don't know, that idea of endurance, whether that you feel like that has helped you with the success of Knit Collage. I just feel like being able to hang on when it's boring or it's stressful or life's in the way, whatever, I don't know, but that, I feel like that ability to endure mentally, um, must be helpful.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I, I think 90% of the reason Nick Collage is successful is because I just haven't given up yet (laughs) through all the challenges and ups and downs I've been through. And I've never thought about it in terms of has my endurance running helped me, but I can't imagine that it it hasn't. Um, That 50K race was in Singapore. It was 93 degrees out north face trail run through trails without you to carry your water on your back (laughs) and I actually won that race for women like I was the first person and I never thought of myself as a you know athlete or anything like that and I'm sure you know I hang that medal in my office so I can see it because it reminds me I can do hard things right so impossible and I'm like oh my gosh I did that it was a long time ago now but I did that I can get through xyz right
0: and I do really think that it, a lot of being able to do well in business is just hanging on so <laughs> I like Amen. yeah I like that quote about like not just I haven't stopped like I just haven't quit and that's why it's still here and, and I do think that, that that probably rings true for a lot of people too I want to take a minute now to talk about our sponsor Cooperative Press. Shannon Oakey, the founder of Cooperative Press, wrote a dozen books for big publishers and could never figure out why she wasn't earning more money despite her books selling well. She called this publisher math. She was doing some freelance acquisition work for other publishers and saw up close how limited their viewpoints were. Their marketing people wanted the next big thing, but they would only sign off on books that were the same old thing. Everyone who works for Cooperative Press is a knitter, so they publish the kinds of books they want to see. No one needs their 10th Garter Stitch Basics book. Instead, they're looking for weird and nerdy. One of their most popular ongoing series, for example, is named after Madame Defarge. They print in the United States and try to keep their carbon footprint as low as they can. Cooperative Press also prints on matte paper, so it's easy to take notes in the book if you want to. It's also better for the environment than glossy paper. Their sole focus is on publishing fun, well-edited books that support the extended fiber community, whether that means featuring other small businesses like Yarn Dyers or helping aspiring authors behind the scenes. If you'd like to check out Cooperative Press, use the code ABBY, that's A-B-B-Y, to get 20% off your purchase. Thank you so much, Cooperative Press. And now, back to my conversation with Amy. Um, so, okay. So you had said you learned to knit, but you only knew the basics throughout this whole sweater design sort of phase. And so did you return while you were in Hong Kong to knitting or how did sort of knitting or, or hand knit yarns sort of come into your focus?
1: So knitting actually came after knitting more, getting better at knitting came after creating the yarn business. I, I, Read, I had read the book. Um, I think it's called Handspun Re- Revolution by Lexi Bogart, and she's the one who really brought art yarns to the forefront. We, we were obsessed with them. That book, Mary and I, when we read it, and it got it really piqued my interest in spinning yarns, and that's when I um, got a spinning wheel. I went and took one of her classes, and. I bought a hand carter, and and once I started spinning, it was just like all downhill from there. It was like I had found my thing, you know. <laughs> Maybe the way you feel about about your sewing, and I just became obsessed. And I and I was thinking, there's no yarns like this on the market. Maybe I could try and sell them. And I created a line of yarn, sent some photos out to different people's emails that were yarn store owners I thought that I had found on google and said hey would you be interested in buying these no idea how I was going to make them and that's sort of how it all got started
0: right and when was this this was in the
1: early 2010
0: 2010. okay 2010
1: It was probably 2009 that I sent that email and then it took me a while to figure out how to actually bring them you know to be for sale.
0: And what did these first yarns look like? Were they like fat and thin and and sort of chunky like to like describe yeah. a little bit about why when you're saying that there weren't yarns like this on the market, what were they?
1: So they are our Dreamland yarns. There's still many colorways that we haven't discontinued, so they've been available for the last 12 years and They have all these different things spun into them, like little sequins, um, trims and ribbons, sparkles, crochet flowers. Um, We also have like little metallic flowers. There's all sorts of different elements. And then the fiber itself is all different materials carded together. So one yarn could have a totally different content from the other, (laughs) and they're each a little bit different, but the recipe for each one is the same. So if you order Mermaid Cafe, the recipe is always the same. It's just it's hand spun, so it's always going to be slightly different from the skein before it.
0: Okay. And it has your trinkets. Your trinkets right are yeah, all my trinkets. <laughs> <laughs> right. They made an appearance. They like they reemerged. Yeah, and now I have multiple like trinket closets in my house. <laughs> to dream come true. Like living the you're living the dream from childhood. And so I, I've
1: during covid which was satisfying so
0: you you put these trinkets into this yarn and then carded all these different materials together i feel like do you feel like in some way mentally you had permission to do this not just from this book but also just from the experience of having designed sweaters and been on the factory floor and seen what the possibilities were you know like yes. maybe somebody else would have been sort of like oh well nobody's doing that you can't do that but because you had sort of I
1: don't know, had a kind of a more expansive view of what's possible? Yeah, uh, definitely. I had never thought about that way, but it could totally be. Um, I also, when I started the business, I didn't have grand plans of anything, you know, the next step or some big vision for what it would become. It was just, let's see, let's see what, what happens. Let's see what happens next. So there was no business plan. It was <laughs> none of that. Right. You just thought, oh, I'll try, I'll like doing this. Yeah. Let's see if anybody wants it. Let's see what happens. And had
0: you moved back to the US at that point when you emailed these yarn stores?
1: Not quite yet. So I spent some time in Hong Kong trying to figure out what the process was, how I could scale this process of hand spinning. And at one point, I think we had nine Hong Kong ladies in my little studio spinning all the yarn while I was also working freelance for like seven different companies. So it was an operation. But it was important because I learned the process completely. I learned, you know, what could make the process go faster, what the trouble spots were Um, but I also knew I wanted to move back to the states and be closer to my family and that making the yarn in Hong Kong long term wasn't really viable so that's when I started to think about where else could I go and make this and I had a lot of experience working in India from my free people days and my old boss Mary that I mentioned before is there. Now she's there permanently. So a friend to kind of help me (laughs) guide me through the ropes there. And that's sort of how it got started in India. And once I got things off the ground there, that's when I finally moved back home. Okay.
0: All right. And why was Hong Kong not as viable as India just for folks who don't really get like the labor situation or, or the import export? Like, I
1: think actually, a lot of it was the mindset it's so interesting so in in Hong Kong when I tried to make the yarn there there were these huge minimums and and everyone just said no to me and the yarn has I think we have over 45 different fiber colors and we had a lot maybe in the beginning we started with 20 but it was a lot and I wasn't buying big quantities right right and then we, I think we had like 80 different trims across these, all these different yarns and people could not wrap their head around, um, small quantities. Like you had to buy 10,000 of everything. And I just couldn't do, couldn't do that at that stage in my business. And when I went to India, it was totally different. It was like, yeah, we'll try that. We can make that happen and you can buy 10 and that's fine. Or you could order 10 and that's fine. And it just felt like this perfect um, mesh of what I was looking for and what they were up for trying. And I think that now, you know, we have some of those bigger quantities, so maybe I could have stayed there, but this is, I think, the better place for me um, in terms of that, that attitude, that cultural attitude.
0: And what would have happened? to knit if you had tried to spin all the own all of the yarn yourself like I feel like there's quite a few and and, and it's a totally legit business model but it's just a very different business yeah. um you know yarn based businesses whether it's hand dyeing or hand spinning but people who have you know a line of yarn that they're making um and maybe they have a few studio assistants who are helping with the dyeing or with the spinning or both but um but that's kind of the model. And I, I just wonder, uh, we can look at what Nick Collage looks like now, but what what would have happened to it if you, you had just decided, well, this is how it is. I spin this. It's really weird yarn. Nobody's going to want to do this. And so I'll just do it and that's it. Uh,
1: I think the business would never have evolved to what it is now. And I think I'm able to, I guess it's two parts. I'm able to really like do more of what I want to do. What challenge lights me up? I think if I were spinning yarn day in, day out, I don't think I'd feel like I was learning or growing in, in many new ways. I could be wrong, but I think if that were my day-to-day, I would feel a little stagnant. Also, because we've evolved the business to now, in, you know now we have our knit and our membership and we're helping people learn new techniques, tap into their creativity, reach these different heights with their making that they maybe never have before, I don't think I would have been able to have that impact on people's lives. And I do think that knitting has the power to change people's lives in this small way. I don't think any of that would have been would be happening if I was just doing this one thing within the business.
0: Right. OK, absolutely. So so you move back to the United States, you have sort of infrastructure in place to make knit collage happen. Um, you're in a couple of stores, maybe a few more at this point. Um, was going to TNNA, to the trade show,
1: um, an instrumental part of the growth of knit collage? Yes, it was. I went to my first trade show with my dad. I was living in my parents' basement again at age, I think, 28. (laughs) It was pretty humbling. And I didn't get that many orders, but I got an order from Pearl Soho. And it was hugely important to other brands, companies finding out about what I was doing. And I don't think they placed a very big order. It was like eight skates per (laughs) color. (laughs) <laughs> but it was enough to make me and my dad feel like we had something and we could do it.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. And for folks who don't know, you know, Pearl Soho is it just a beautiful premium store, you know, in New York City, it's tiny, but beautiful inside. And, and so they took a bet on you, or they saw something about your yarn that was unusual and different. And going to the show was the way to make that connection. Like it might not have happened, maybe if
1: you had just sent an email. Absolutely. I'm sure I had sent them an email too. And no one had answered actually only one person wrote me back to my email.
0: (laughs) Right. And we had touched a little bit on your Childhood love of collage and the button lampshade, et cetera. So um, did the name Nick Collage come to you right away or was there like a naming brainstorming session?
1: It, it actually came to me right away. And it's it's for me, it's all about that collage element. And that reminds me of that little boundlessly creative kid I used to be that I feel like I'm always trying to inch closer and closer to as I (laughs) get older, because I think typically, as most of us get older, the opposite happens, and we just become more normal. (laughs) So I, I love that that name brings me back to that that person I used to be who was always collaging things and also it's about the yarn and all the trinkets and all the different elements that go into it and it being a collage of all of that within a one ball of yarn.
0: Yes and I feel like you know, when you look at knit collage yarn, you can identify it as knit collage yarn, like right away. And I'm not a knitter, by the way. I mean, I, I know basically how to knit. I know how to crochet. But I don't really do either of those things very often or well. Um, but it has a very particular look to it and aesthetic it's easy to identify and stands out I feel like in the market of of yarns um and I wondered whether there was ever a temptation to make normal yarn you know what I'm saying like was there ever a feeling like oh gosh like there's probably a larger market for kind of the regular stuff. And maybe we should have a line of that too, you know, or were you able to stay true to this vision? And I mean, I think you have stayed true to it. But I just wonder if there's a temptation to sort of veer in, in favor of the normal.
1: I don't think I've ever had that temptation. I feel so strongly that I need to just do me not look to the left or the right compare and despair and see what's working for anybody else and just do my own thing now we have a yarn coming out now that's a worsted weight yarn, which I I'm like this terrifies me because (laughs) it's a small needle (laughs) yeah if I have the time for knitting on a small needle to me it still feels funky and fun and different but you might look at it and say hey this just looks like any you know any old yarn but I think the the other big learning I've had along along the way, and this relates to, to your, the question you posed me, is that I need to come up with, or as a team at Nick Collage, we need to come up with unique, fun, our own patterns that give people ideas of what to make with them. And I think what's so important about that is that then I'm not relying on other people or influencers or famous designers to use the yarn. We're just creating our own thing from the, from the fiber right on up to the pattern and the teaching experience. Um, so I've always tried to just do my own thing. My audience, it might be smaller. We might not have as many people joining us, but it's totally our own thing from start to start. From the yarn to teaching you how to make it and the pattern, does that make sense? Absolutely. And again, the, the knit collage objects,
0: the, the the things that you're making with the fabric with the with the yarn. I mean, the fabric that you're making and the finished product that you're making is are also very distinctive. Whether it's like a, a big daisy pillow or like a scarf with three giant tassels on either side. Um, or there's like a, you know, granny square sweater that combines knitting and crochet. The sleeves are knit and the, the chest and the back are crocheted granny squares. Like they're very, you look at it and you're like, oh, that's such a cool, like you can see the sweater designer inside
1: there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I, I think there's, I guess I just feel like everybody else can chase, I don't know, the famous designers that are out there in the knitting world. I would rather just do our own thing. And maybe we don't have 10,000 people knit that sweater. Maybe we only have 50 people knit that sweater, but it's completely ours. And I'm not competing in a space that tons of other people are competing in. And I think that goes for the yarn too. So I've always just tried to stick to my guns, my aesthetic, not look around too much. Like when I hear store owners say, oh, but this person carries that yarn. How could I carry it? I'm like, well, you do your thing with it. You tell people why you love it and you do your take on it. You don't have to worry too much about that other store because you're you and nobody else has your unique perspective on this yarn or this pattern um, and and is going to do it the way that you do it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And do you have customers who don't
0: understand um, the product or the price point, you know what I'm saying? Have you had, has that been at all, have there have there been incidences where you just run into people who uh, object in some way <laughs> to the fact that it is different and it is, you know, it is something uh, unique on the market, you know? So, no. No. People could
1: be saying that, but <laughs> I'm sure they are. But within our membership, within our knit-alongs, I don't hear that. We we do have a virtual option for people now, so they can use their own hand-spun yarn, their own stash. They can join in to our knit-along experiences without having to use our yarn, and that does make the price point a ton better, too. Um, but no, I don't get a lot of pushback on on it.
0: And let's talk a little bit about the importance of knit along. So we talked about you develop the patterns that sell the yarn because you're showing people here's a hat that you can make and it requires these two skeins. So you know exactly what you need to buy. Um, but the knit-along takes that to another level. So people who are not totally familiar with how these work, what is a knit-along and, and how do you work them so that it, it's helping to create the success of the company?
1: Yeah, so in a nutshell, in our knit alongs or make alongs, because we're doing some crochet, like you mentioned, in our events now, as a community, we make the same style. So it's typically four styles. And um, I ask (laughs) the public to vote. So anybody can vote on which style they want to make. I think we have 10 in the running for this fall, maybe more. And we will knit or crochet the ones that win that popular vote. And what we do is we offer a virtual option or people can buy a kit. And along with their kit comes an online class that I teach where they learn how to make each style from start to finish. So there's sort of three components, the yarn or you get the virtual. Um, I teach you all these good things, (laughs) how to make it from start to finish. Um, Help, we have Zooms every week two zooms dedicated to answering your questions and getting you the help you need with our knitting and crochet teachers Um, and i guess the last part of course is community because there's a lot of inherent accountability when you knit things as a group together i give you a rough schedule we have these zooms we have um, different ways to communicate as a group on facebook and instagram and so we're seeing what other people are knitting and we want to keep up because theirs looks so awesome and we want to finish our ours because we can see how great it looks um so there's that element of it too so so in a way it's turning what i would normally be doing anyway right like releasing yarn and pattern into a community event that we can all do together and that has been a huge element within like my growth as a business and um and and getting to know our customers and what they want, what helps them actually finish. So it's been a big thing of what we do here at Nick Collage and and ultimately led into our membership during the pandemic.
0: Yeah, let's talk a little bit about memberships. Um, We did a webinar about memberships not too long ago, and it was really popular. A lot of people want to create a membership. Now they hear, you know, recurring income. They think that sounds really great. Um, it is not super easy actually to launch membership and maintain a membership over time. Um, so if you can talk about sort of what was the motivation to do this and how does your membership work?
1: Yeah. So you remember spring 2020, the world shut down. It was pretty insane. We launched a knit along that April that did the best of any knit along we've ever done by double. I think people were home. They wanted to knit in community. Uh, We had, you know, good timing on our side. And what happened after that eight week period, our knit alongs run for eight weeks, is we all made great friends and we wanted to keep connecting. And that was the first knit along too, where we really started to do more community. We did Zooms twice a week. We started to do the Instagram account, um, And we were fostering more discussion on the Facebook group. So all of this led me to think about how can we continue this conversation after the knit along and not have it be just about my yarn and my patterns, but you know, all of this stuff. (laughs) And that's really how it began and how I got the idea. So right after that knit along ended, maybe a month or six weeks after that, I decided to try a founding membership. And I went through the Stu McLaren course. Yeah. I'm in his Facebook group. Yeah. Yeah, woo-hoo. yeah. So I did that. And he had this whole thing about like being a founding, a founding member. Launched. Yeah. So that's what I did. I, I, I didn't change much from that. It was like, I invite you to become a founding member with me. I don't really know what this is going to be, but it's going to be something. And we had two, I think we had 220 people sign up at, um, in the beginning it was $22. I wanted to set it, set it low in the beginning because it was pretty bare bones and it's inched up um, since then. So what we do in our membership and what we offer folks is, I have a video vault with over 100 videos that are knitting and crochet tutorials, everything from um, tubular casts on to charts and lace, I mean, there's a ton in there. So instead of having to go to YouTube and search for a good tutorial, you know, especially if you've done my knit alongs, you know you like my teaching style, you know you're going to be able to get help right. And we do events. So this has really evolved in the last six months to a year. We run one or two events a month. And these can be anything from hearing an inspiring talk by somebody within the knitting or creative world. Um, to a tutorial so we just did a tutorial on um, this (laughs) it's this sweater called Only Murders in the Building it was from that TV show and we created um, a a pattern one of our knitting teachers and created some kind of pattern for busting through your stash something like that (laughs) so we do these types of events we do community zooms so we're connecting um, as a community and some people have met Great friends through the community, and um, they get early access to everything, which is a big pro. If you're like me, you have to plan your inventory six plus months in advance. It's so hard. So by the time you get the yarn for fall, Um, You know, I've had to make that decision long ago when I have no idea how much we'll have sold in those six months. So being able to get early access to new fall yarns and to our knit-alongs is huge for some people, and that's a big perk. And then the last thing is they get a $10 monthly credit to use on the site and loyalty points. And um, they roll over. They never go away. So if you decide to leave, you can still use them and people often use those to join our knit along so they accrue them for six months and then they use the 60 dollars of points towards their knit along kit so that is how it works we have around 500 members right now and our churn rate is like 0.2 percent so it's been really good and i would recommend but it is hard work for sure you touched on that yeah i mean
0: i do feel like a membership um it's like a constant, you know, you just have to constantly feed it. So because people are paying month to month and they want, you know, there's a lot in the archives, but they also want new things coming their way. So
1: absolutely. And one thing we, we struggle with is that people are knitting and making a lot of things already. So we don't necessarily want to always be like, here's one more thing to teach. Right. Because there's also
0: such thing as like, but like a fire hose of information. I think Sue talks about this too. Like there can be information overload. So yeah, striking that balance. And can I ask about the, um, the infrastructure, the back, the back end of, of all of this? So what is this membership built on?
1: I just have a email list for everybody. We have a Facebook group. We have a, you know, a Google doc list. And then all the courses and everything are on teachable. Okay. So I guess it's sort of disjointed. Yeah.
0: I see what you're saying. Yeah. But it's a, we do have a, we
1: do have a, uh, dedicated homepage on my site that they can log into. And it's like all the important information, a link to your events, your, you know, how to use your loyalty points. Like all that kind of stuff is right there. Dropbox with all, with all the zoom recordings. I see. We have that for people. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it's a, I mean, it's a fairly low tech setup, really, um, which is good to hear because I think sometimes we make it out in our minds to have to be this complicated or expensive software. And you've managed to pull together a stack that's not super complicated or probably super expensive.
1: No, I think I have a love hate relationship with Facebook, like I think a lot of us do. And I'm constantly like, do I, do we move? Do we stay? Do we move? Yeah.
0: I have that same feeling, the community piece. It's like, yeah. I, and I guess we're there now too. And my long-term feeling is there will come a point in Facebook's trajectory in which I'm just like, that's it. Like I draw the line. This isn't working for whatever. We can't predict the future, but I I do have that premonition that I will get there. And at that point I will evaluate and, and pick and yeah. move.
1: It just so. works right now. Yes. It, it works. It's a great tool and it works, but everybody hates logging onto Facebook and seeing their exes. Uh, <laughs> it, I get this comment all the time and I totally get it.
0: <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of problems. And and those problems, as we all know, have increased over the last few years. And so, totally. um, I, like I said, I, I think I think we're headed for, for leaving, but, we're, but it works for now. So I, I, I echo that sentiment. Um, and your relationship with free people – continued in in a different way. Obviously you're not working for them full time, but, um, but talk a little bit about your ongoing sort of interactions with them.
1: Yeah. So this year I, I decided to take a trip to their office in, in May. And the whole idea was, I'd love to just drum up some business and diversify away from all my eggs being in the knitting (laughs) basket. And, increasingly my business is mostly online. So it's actually not wholesale as much teeny, teeny part of my business is wholesale. It's mostly online sales and membership. So I want a way to diversify the business, especially of all the news about the economy. and And one thing that's so nice about selling to free people is that I don't have to sell it. I make the things or we make the things in India and they sell it. And it also keeps me a little bit in the fashion world, which I like. So the hoodie scarf that's um, that's one of the contenders for our next knit along is something that they brought to me and said we want we're envisioning this kind of thing, you know. <laughs> and so I love that. So we are doing hats for them this year, holiday stockings, blankets, lots of different um, accessories and sweaters actually. And I appreciate that they're not knocking me off and that they charge the amount that they should be. A sweater is going to be anywhere from eight hundred to a thousand dollars which it should be for the yarn and the hand knitting costs so I appreciate that
0: yeah. Okay. So interesting. I think it's it's really neat to hear that that way of diversifying. Um, I would love to talk before we get to your recommendations about your newsletter. Um, you and I have talked about your newsletter in the past. I am an avid reader. The reason why I know what I know about Nick Collage is because I read your newsletter. So talk a little bit about your newsletter, its evolution over time, and the importance that it plays in your overall marketing.
1: Well, first of all, I have to give you a huge thank you for your email newsletter course, because it helped me so much. And I think we did a coaching call about it, too. And you really helped me drill down on um, how to make it better, how to improve. And I have not looked back. I literally haven't changed it since that discussion (laughs) with you. I think the newsletter tool and your email list is the number one most important way to reach your customers because you own it. And with Instagram, which is the other place I love to be, I never know what people are going to see. I never know which reel is going to do well and which isn't. Uh, Photo posts right now aren't doing that well. So it's the one thing where I can ensure everyone is going to get this that is on the email list. So it's my main focus. Um, each week, there's some element that is, hey, this is what we're promoting this week. It could be, I know I did one recently that was about tools, my favorite tools. Right now, it's all about the middle on. And then um, on your recommendation, we do a little please thing that's called happy place. And it's just things that made me smile, that inspired me. Could be books, podcasts, sweaters few things like that and then at the end um, inside knit collage and it's usually a little window into what I am juggling that week because I think sometimes people see the outside picture of oh you're (laughs) running this business you have a team it seems somewhat like (laughs) but there's just so much going on behind the scenes that I'm juggling on a day-to-day business and so the idea of taking a little bit of the you know peeling back the curtain a little bit and this is what it's really like to (laughs) run a small business in the intro you mentioned you know like i'm passionate about small business i think this is the part where i get to explore that a little bit i talk about the mastermind i'm in the coaching programs i do that really help me um all that good stuff so i that is what my newsletter is it's not just selling stuff there's a lot more to it do people write back yeah people do write back people do um, recently with our knit-along design survey, a lot of people have just responded, I want this one or I want that
0: one. Yeah, yeah. So there is a back and forth to it. I mean, it's but it's private, right? Like it's a it's a one-to-one back and forth. So if somebody's responding, it's not in a public news feed where everybody's looking at their response. It's just going right back to you or to the team member who's gonna be reading that um, response, which I think is lovely and and kind of a more intimate. Way. And, um, and I agree with you. Like, I think one of the things that we had talked about was like Nick Collage is weird and you love being, you know, embracing your weird, embracing your weird. Right. And I mean that in a good way. I hope you know. But oh, like, of and so like infusing the newsletter with your weird, in other words, saying like, I like these sweaters this week. And I always click on those because I'm like, what is this sweater? Like I've never seen, like I would never find that on my own, but, and I, I have like no sense of fashion. So when I look at that, I'm like, wow, that's crazy. But like so interesting to see from someone who I know is a sweater designer, like, look at this thing that she thinks is cool. Um, and it's fascinating to me. And, and, and with the, the, the peeling back the curtain or pulling back the curtain and looking inside the small business, you just had a third baby. Um, and in the midst of all of this, which folks can imagine (laughs) what that's really like. Um, and you talk a little bit about that and, and, um, and everybody getting COVID and all of the stuff of life that is mixed in to, to doing this.
1: Yeah. I, I think there's a benefit of, you know, telling the truth and being your, you know, your true self, because when people see that there's a real person, you're not like Amazon, <laughs> you know, there's, a, there's a real person, a real story behind the business. There's more trust there. There's more like, uh, like, a like, likeability and trust in that. Okay. It's not, you know, calling 1-800-UPS, which is my least favorite thing to do.
0: <laughs> do you feel though that there's sometimes a burden on that side where you feel like they feel they know you and, I don't know. Like, it's a little bit hard to have a boundary between your person I, and you know, and your customers and your business.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I don't do. I feel like I don't do it too much, um, but I do. I, I I worry more about it in terms of growth as a business because I don't want the business just to be about me. I want it to be about our team and less about my personal brand. So I think about it more from that perspective. Yeah, because down the
0: road, right, this would be a great business to be able not not like imminently, but to be able to exit to be able to sell. I mean, it's a beautiful brand with a beautiful aesthetic. You've got all of these systems in place. And if it's the Amy show, it becomes harder to sell.
1: Yeah, so that's, I think that's the biggest thing I, I sort of go with what I enjoy and what lights me up. So writing that and sharing what I share on Instagram, um, It feels right. It feels true. But I constantly have this dialogue in my head. Like, I don't want it to be just about me. I I want it to be about the team and the business. And so you'll start to see that, I think, in the coming months is more like interjecting more of the stories and the opinions and all the good stuff of the team members that also work with me.
0: Absolutely. So that the customer would still feel like this is truly Nick collage Even if it's not all about Amy. And it's a
1: very small team too. So it's not like we're talking hundreds of people here. Sure, sure.
0: It's like (laughs) half dozen or whatever. So yeah, absolutely. All right. I want to make sure we get to your, I mean, there's many other questions that I have and many more things we could talk about. But I do want to make sure we get to your um, recommendation list because you have lots of things that you're interested in and are doing. And one of them is around journaling. I know you had said in your newsletter that you were doing like the daily Pages from is it the artist way, um, and that was really helpful to you, and and maybe other sorts of journaling.
1: Yeah, so I well, morning is my only time by myself. I don't know if you feel this way with three kids, Abby, but it's like unless I go to sleep early, I will not wake up early, and then I have no time for myself literally all day. So I have to wake up early, and it makes such a difference. <laughs> and usually, I meditate or I journal and. I'm a, I'm a big Julia Cameron fan. I love the book, The Artist's Way. But what I'm doing right now is, one, I, it's a challenge, journaling challenge I heard about on, I, I think it's like the Drew Somebody podcast. I can text you or email you. Um, and you do this challenge for 30 days, and then you look back, and you read your responses, and you answer three questions. And the first question is, what filled me with enthusiasm today? What depleted me today or drained me of energy today? And what did I learn about myself today? And what's so interesting is that some of the things that have come up are very easily, if I see something come up three days in a row that can be solved by a 10-minute conversation, I will just solve it. If it's been depleting me for three days, and it's so simple, but until I started journaling on it, I lacked that perspective to see, oh, okay, let's get this that door that doesn't shut in your kitchen. you know, (laughs) It just drives you crazy all the
0: time. And it just adds to everything else, you know? Yeah.
1: Like let's just like the things keep falling out, whatever. Let's just solve that thing. And, and then also on that enthusiasm, joy part, I'm really able to see, Oh, this is okay. We got to, we got to clear the decks more in my schedule so I can lean more into this because when I'm doing the things that light me up, Um, we have more sales in the business or, you know, everybody, my family is happier when, you know, when I'm actually taking more time to do the things that, um, that bring me joy. So it's been really good and I'm only on like day 10. (laughs) But it's
0: all about noticing, you know, I feel like it's so easy to just like plow through and not Notice or, you know, take the chance to like look at the trend and be like, wait a minute, every day I'm saying this or every day I'm feeling this. And maybe if I looked at it, I could do something about that. And so this helps to to do that. That's great. Um, And then you you have a needle felting tool for dealing with bulky yarn ends. So what is this?
1: So this is a life-changing tool for all the knitters out there um, and certainly anybody that knits with bulky yarns. You use this tool to needle felt your ends, so you can weave in your ends normally or you can join two balls of yarn together with this needle felting tool and it will never pop out of your knitting to the front side, which n- bulky ends pop out a lot. Mm-hmm. I remember one back, I'm like wearing my beautiful sweater. I'm so excited. And all the ends, ah! <laughs> like, it was one of those sweaters with a hundred different yarns in it. And I'm like, oh, this is so frustrating. And now I have a solution to that. So it's it's really good. And if people want to go check my Instagram, I did a 90-second reel on how to actually needle felt. It's so simple, but um, you can see how to do it there. Okay,
0: okay, cool. And we'll link to this tool, I'm assuming, in the show notes so that people will be able to, to grab it because that does sound like it'd be really useful. So, um, <laughs> And then knitting projects that stretch your creativity or skills in new ways. You have some that you're working on now.
1: Yeah, so I... Uh, I love the potato chip knitting too, but my favorite projects are the ones that really stretch me in some way. So whether it's learning a new technique like steaking I did um, last fall, or right now I'm doing the sea glass pattern. Do you know that? No, yes. I don't. It's so much fun. You, chain, you do a one by one color work and you change your yarns and you use all your stash and it's all about just getting free with color and mm. different fibers. And so there's no wrong way to do it it's so much fun i can't put it down <laughs> and it's not work knitting for me so it's like okay i gotta get back to to my real work for knit collage but it's so much fun and i just love those projects where you really get into that flow state with creativity yeah. it's like this next color this next color and, and what you feel looks good together right it's just a blast so i'm really enjoying that project i think it's by woolen pine if people want to check out the pattern on um,
0: Okay, yeah, that's great. and I love using up your stash. I feel like I feel like a, a piece of work that uses the, the scraps or the bits or whatever from your stash. It's somehow like an interesting expression of you because this was your collection
1: totally. and it
0: all goes together in this way that sort of, I don't know, it encompasses your thought process.
1: And just the satisfying nature of I'm using up all my yarn scripts right now and putting it to right. use and making something beautiful too. Yeah.
0: That, that's incredibly satisfying. So, well, Amy, thank you so much for taking the time to be yeah. on the craft industry Alliance podcast. It was great talking to you. So fun. Thank you for having me, Abby. <laughs> and you've been listening to the craft industry. Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today's episode was brought to you by Cooperative Press. It's yarn show season, and Cooperative Press has got you covered with the just released second book in their Festival Knit series. Every design features yarns by their 2022 neighbors at Rhinebeck. Cooperative Press's mission isn't just about paying authors more fairly than the competition. They also believe in supporting other small fiber businesses, and that means spotlighting indie dyers too. See you soon at cooperativepress.com. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. When you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.